Okay, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this just glorious morning. Lord, I thank you for the, uh, Father, our greatest privilege uh, to be uh, just amid uh, believers, to be have open your word, to be able to share in this fellowship of just a greater appreciation for truth. Father, for a greater appreciation for our salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would come uh, today uh, with hearts that would be open. Father, we just allow your spirit to lead in our, our sharing and discussion today as a Father would just, again, further build on our worship to you and, Father, what we have in the fullness of Jesus Christ. And so I just pray, that, Father, that your spirit would lead and bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, our objective today is the building off of what we talked about a couple weeks ago, and that is this theme of worship. And it is about worship, because the, the, the passages that we're looking at, which is verses, chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, again continues this focus of the greatness of our salvation, and concludes with this perspective of the angels that is that of worship. And so it is our hope and prayer that we too would gain a greater recognition of the privileges that we have as believers to, this, to the providential plan of Jesus, through Jesus Christ. I wanted to uh, take a minute and just read the passage. If you have your Bibles, open them up because we're going to be looking at a, quite a few passages today, all Old Testament, New Testament, quite a bit. And the reason for it is just because that there's so much that I want us to look at, for yourself to look at, specifically within Scripture. Why is that important? It is important because when you go to a verse yourself, what happens is just that you read the verse, but you also then have the opportunity to look at the context of that, where that's at. In other words, what else is happening at that point. That's important, especially when we're looking at prophecy, as you go back to the point that we're going to make today, is that many... Many of these prophets, most of these prophets, didn't fully understand what they were writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And yet we have this great, great privilege of where we're at today to have that. So I wanted to read through this together. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You know, this passage, as we went through and studied it, it reminds me so much of, of my study in Luke. There's just so much that I can draw from that. And the passage that comes to mind is actually in Luke 10. I'll re- see if you can remember this with me. In Luke chapter 10, remember, Jesus sends out the 70 disciples ahead, and he sends these disciples out in pairs, right? Pairs of two. So there's 35 pairs of two that he sends out. And if you want to take a look at that passage briefly, but at the beginning of actually in chapter 9, specifically we see where Jesus gave his disciples powers. Powers to remove demons, powers to heal. And so Jesus sends out in, in Luke 10 these 70. They went out, and when they returned, is that they returned in joy. 
And they were, there was a fullness of their joy that was really a wrong perspective. Okay, look with me in verse 17. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Again, the seventy returned with joy. Why? Because they had power over demons. In other words, they were able to do the miraculous by the power of Christ. Okay? And then it says in verse 20, look at it. It says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Jesus says, don't rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. With great power comes a truly proper perspective, our position in Christ. Think about that again. Think about what happened in this verse. Is that they had an improper perspective of what Christ had sent them out to do. In fact, what Jesus says is don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in salvation. Period. One of those questions in there, the challenging one was why do we, how should we pity someone that is going through a trial when we should be, they should be rejoicing? It's about this. It is a proper perspective where we anchor our perspective to that of our salvation. Until that is done, it can become distorted. We rejoice in many, many things. In fact, much like this passage in Luke 10, is that sometimes we can rejoice even in those spectacular spiritual victories. We have them all the time, don't we? You can think of, probably share several where we praise God for the victory or some answered prayer and such, and we rejoice in these things. But there's a but by that. There's a but. But there is no greater joy than knowing that our sins are forgiven. We have an eternal place in the kingdom of God. That's the message. It is so great a salvation. So do we realize? Do we realize the greatness, the wonder of our salvation? That really is the, the question for us to consider. So, in a similar way, now we're going back to this passage, in a similar way, Peter is, to his readers, he is trying to gain this appreciation for the salvation that they have in Christ. To his readers. In other words, to increase, to heighten their awareness, to their understanding, to their appreciation for the salvation that they have in Christ. It is literally the privilege that they themselves at that time and for you and I that live within the Galatians 4.4, the fullness of time. The perspective. He seeks to increase his reader's appreciation. The privilege is that, that we have in the fullness of time. As we had this overview of 1 Peter 1, 10-12, is that we took the verse and we said our, our focus was going to be looking at the perspectives of the verses from the Old Testament prophets, as we look at these things, it adds to this salvation. And I want you to remember one thing today. As we, as, through the passage as we go, we're going to hit twice, we're going to hit, hit this word things. And every time you see things within this passage, it specifically refers back to the salvation. In fact, it's things. It's salvation. It's the things of Christ. The other second perspective is that with these prophets, they were searching and inquiring and they're going to receive, actually, revelation. We're going to look at that revelation and what are they revealing to you and I. The perspective of salvation from the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, 
spirit-filled preaching to those uh, prophets themselves. And then from the New Testament apostles and to our preachers, to you, to you, it's to us today. How are we being ministered to by the preaching of God's Word? And then finally, the angels, things, salvation, things into which angels long to look. So the perspectives of salvation from the Old Testament prophets, the Holy Spirit, the New Testament apostles, preachers, and the angels. So when we pick up last week, our main theme is this privileged place that we have within this sovereign, providential plan of God. And so, that's our main point. And as we live in this privileged period right now, in this fullness of the church age, to know and to love Jesus Christ, what does it mean to you? How does it change us? How does it change every day our perspective? So, as we pick back up, as to this salvation, the prophets. The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. And again, just briefly from review, who were these prophets? What is a prophet? Yeah, they, were, they were the proclaimers of truth, the truth of God. They were not only the proclaimers of truth, but it was they were spirit-filled, inspired. Jeff? As you say, the prophets uh, represent... Sure. A messenger, Lisa. Good, good thought, good description of them. In fact, we're going to come back to that. Some messengers that sometimes they didn't even understand their own message. I like the passage in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. I'll read it to you. Blessed are, are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Verse 12. Rejoice. And be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These prophets, these proclaimers of truth, were perfect examples for us themselves in the perseverance through persecution. He calls our attention, Peter does, to these prophets in reminding his readers, you and I also, that we're going to suffer just like they did as the prophets. For what purpose? For the sake of Christ. For the sake of the kingdom. And one of the questions we'll get to is, is that what does it mean to you? Think about it. At what cost to them as prophets? In many cases, it was their life. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. God speaks through the prophets. Let me just read that verse to you. First Peter chapter Second Peter, part forgive me. Second Peter chapter two, verse twenty one reads. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. These prophets, they proclaimers of truth, they were examples of persecution and perseverance, and they were spirit-filled. They were moved to speak by the Holy Spirit of Christ. Good passage for your study is John chapter 16, verses 7 to 15. There's a good supporting verse in there that talks again about the coming of the Holy Spirit. In his task of that, we know, is to really bear witness, to bear witness to his presence among the believers, to saints, after his death, his burial, his resurrection. John 16. So the research of the prophets, what were they looking for? What did they prophesy about? Looking at the passage in 1 Peter 1, let's read it together. 
Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. What were they prophesying about? It's right in the verse there. Pardon? Right. Specifically, to quote it exactly, it says they prophesied of the grace that would come to you. You're right. It is salvation. But it is this grace. He refers to it as this grace, which is described as a future type of grace. Verse 10. They, cons- they prophesied concerning the grace, this grace. For whom? You. To the readers, as Peter is writing to his, his audience, but to you and I as well. In other words, these prophets, they were looking forward this way. I'm going forward this way. They were looking forward Because they knew that there was going to be a Savior that was going to come. So they're going this way. This was was something that was very familiar to them. Okay, I'm going to go all the way back to my first tab, which is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. They knew that the Savior was going to come. I'll read that passage. You're familiar with it in verse 18. Excuse me. Chapter 18, uh, verse 15. The Lord your God, this is this prophet... This is Moses. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses, from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all your desire of the Lord your God in Horeb in the days of the assembly, saying, Let him not hear again the voice of my Lord, of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. The Lord will raise up for me, for you, a prophet like me from your midst. And so... They were familiar with this. They knew that this was coming forward. And so they were looking forward to that which was to be anticipated. Where you and I are is that we're looking backwards at this. Okay, And so what we're going to contrast today is how they were longing for that and are you and I longing for that, going this way, with an appreciation for that, for the same salvation, the same grace. Okay, Now, What were they prophesying about? A future grace. What else? They were prophesying about a Messiah who would triumph. Secondly, they were prophesying about a Messiah that would triumph. The passages I have listed here in Psalm 2 and Isaiah 9, 6. Psalm 2, that he would set his king on his holy hill. He would rule with an iron rod and a scepter. Isaiah 9, 6. Familiar passage that the government would be upon his shoulders and he would be a mighty God. So the prophets prophesied about a Messiah and that this Messiah would triumph. Thirdly, they prophesied about a Messiah that would save. Isaiah 61 4. I want to just give you one little part of an appreciation for why. You and I have scripture to the fullest, okay? Just go with me to Isaiah 61, verse 1. At the same time, put your thumb in, your finger into Luke chapter 4, verse 20. I want you to see what I see, and therefore, the appreciation for prophecy. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Okay, and then also in Luke was the other place. Okay, could someone read 
starting in verse 61 and read verses 1 and 2, please. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Okay, Isaiah's prophecy, okay, of a future Savior. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Just tell me what's different. You don't have to read it because it's identical. In fact, it's, it's quoted exactly. This is Jesus reading from Isaiah when he's come into the synagogue. What is different? Okay. All of it? Not all of it. Right. Okay, this is, this is what the great part of Scripture is that we have. See here, Isaiah is prophesying not only of a coming Messiah, Savior that would save, but also that He would judge, right? The day of vengeance. Jesus then in Luke chapter 4, He comes into Nazareth where He had been brought up, and as was His custom, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and He stood up and He read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And he read it. And he stops, right where it says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, I am here. And he says, he closed the book, gave it to the back to the attendant, sat down, and that's where he says, today this scripture is fulfilled up to that point. The day of vengeance is yet future. That's gives me chills when you think of Scripture, Mark. Well, prophecy about future grace, Messiah would triumph, Messiah who would save. Now, as we look at that passage where it says, they prophesied of the grace that would come to you, make careful searches, it almost sounds as though that it is something that is only future, doesn't it? Okay. So I guess the question would be, was that was grace absent before Jesus came? In other words, the grace that would come in that verse in in First Peter, the grace that would come, some could say, think, or say that it's because it says that they prophesied about a future grace that there was no grace in the Old Testament. So, what's the answer? Was there grace in the Old Testament? Absolutely. In other words, was grace absent? No. Grace was present. There is so much as examples, and I'll just give you several. Paul actually builds an entire argument in chapter 4 about the abiding grace of God and and the the principle that justification has always been by grace through faith alone. Exodus 22, God says, For I am gracious. 33, go back. Psalm 45, 2 and 84, The Lord will give grace and glory. Proverbs 3, 34, all these are all Old Testament, gives grace to the humble. I mean, even Jonah. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Remember he was struggling to accept the fact that God would spare these Ninevites, and the Ninevites would actually repent. So what did he do? He finally, he acknowledged God's grace. For I know that you are a gracious God slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and the one who relents concerning calamity. Isaiah 45, He is a Savior to all the nations. Grace is abounding throughout all of Scripture. It's the same formula. The difference is, the difference is, is literally for us today, is the fullness of that manifestation through Christ. Right? I mean, that, that really is the difference. It's the fullness of the manifestation of that grace and as Peter was writing that, he was referring to these prophets that was yet future, which was Christ. So, 
Once again, here's a first point. You see what privilege that you have that they did not have. Hmm. What is the um, value appreciating the grace that you have? What do you long for? I'll give you one real parallel example. You know, technology today makes it just so easy for us, and it gets to be easier and easier and easier. In fact, you know, it gets. Um, I'll give you one example. Is that you know, I used to. It's like a, if you long to see somebody. Really, you have this, this longing that builds within you of anxiousness that you just cannot wait to see them face to face. But now, ah, you got FaceTime. You got Skype. It is not the same. And, so, and I'm just saying is that you, sometimes you and I as believers, is do we have this same, ah, oh yeah, I, it's a great salvation. It's a great salvation. Perspectives on... Salvation. So what two things did the prophets do in the passage? Read looking again. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. Okay. These words are they actually complement each other. But the fact is is that the, the the Holy Spirit gives us two descriptions in there is for a purpose. It is to say is that it was not just a very simple type of search. Okay? In fact, it was something that they were carefully searching for. And where did they look? Where did they look? What they had. They had scripture, what they had, what the scriptures that they had. I'm going to guess that they had sort of roundtable discussions. You know, they sat and they talked through this. You know, when I was a, when I was a kid, I, I didn't like to go to the dentist so much, but the dentist's office had the best stuff. He had sort of those, always had those, those word searches things, you know, for kids. You know, these types of things. And I used to love those things. And I, because the, the time that I had to wait, it would just fly by because I would just pour myself into... The word search. And the way you look at it, do a word search, and this is just an application, is that you cannot just, when you're looking for something in the passage, and you've got to be looking carefully. I think that they looked very carefully to see, is that, oh, that a child would come. His name would be Jesus. Forever change your life. So we have to look carefully. I can break it down pretty simple is that within these searches that they had, is that they inquired carefully. That should serve for you and I as a great example as it comes to studying scriptures. I shared with Mark before, we, when you prepare, you prepare ten times for what you're going to share. And the reason that you put in ten times that is because you have the joy of going to other areas that are unrelated. Experience the joy of searching carefully God's Word. Well, their search. Pardon? Oh, there's several in this one. There's more. <laughs> there's more. There's Mary that's in there. There's others to the story. You see, the prophets didn't always know the message. There's more. What did they search? What were the three things that they focused on in verse 11? They sought for what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he predicted 
the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Their search focused on three things. What, who, and how. What is the what? The what is the what person or time. Now, your translation, if you have an NIV, it says what? Time or circumstances, right? Okay, basically the same. So so as far as uh, messianic prophecies were concerned, there were two things that these Jews, they thought about. They thought about what time? In other words, when is it going to happen? And secondly, is that what person? In other words, who's going to bring it about? How is it going to happen? So even the disciples following uh, Jesus' resurrection in Acts chapter 1, here's a quote, this is, a, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, when Jesus ascended, when he, his resurrection, that the, his own disciples were again asking that question. Right. So it's like they wanted, they're asking the same questions. What, what time and who? The who is the spirit. It is the spirit of Christ it refers to in the verse is that they were seeking for what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. Now, every time we see the Spirit of Christ, it equals the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9, I'll read it to you. It says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. The work of the Holy Spirit in inspiration is clear. The Bible is... Inspired book, completely, from first word to last word, completely. It's a complete set of collection of writings that are written by men who are inspired by God through the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16, how does it start? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. How? The how in this passage is when. It says, who prophesied the grace that we come to? They would come and make careful searches, inquiries. How? When he predicted, it says, the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. I don't know this to be an exact count because I don't ever, I can't say that I've ever gone through it, but supposedly there's probably more than 330 different prophecies alone related to Christ. And almost a hundred of those actually were fulfilled just in his birth. That could be another study, huh? 330 prophecies of Christ. Prophecies relate to seemingly two contrary things, the suffering and the glory. Some of the passages, and we won't go through them for time's sake, in Psalm 22, often is read in Psalm 22, this is in verse 1, it's literally where Jesus says, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the cry of the cross of Christ. In verses 7 and 8, in Isaiah 53, it talks of this again, the, the suffering of Christ, the Messiah. And the glories to follow, Psalm 2, 16-10, Isaiah 9, 6, and 61. We looked at some of those passages. Without will abandon my soul and show, neither will thou allow thy Holy One to undergo decay, Psalm 16:10. In other words, the glories to follow. Psalm 2 says that he will have the nations as his inheritance. Isaiah 9, 6, the government will rest on his shoulders. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, to preach the good news to the afflicted, sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. As to this salvation, the prophesied that grace would come or searches in Christ. Unfortunately, they lacked understanding. 
their lack of understanding. To what you said earlier, Lisa, being a prophet means you have a message, not that you understand it completely. Not that you understand it. I'm going to give you one quick example in Acts chapter 21. It's actually in 20 and 21. And if you want to go there, I can just summarize, summarize it briefly. But there was a prophet, Agabus. And Agabus was with Paul. And he was prophesying in Acts that at the end of that passage in 22, and just trying to use this as an illustration, and in verse 10, And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns his, this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard this, those that were with Paul, now when we heard these things, both we and those from the place pleaded with him, Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, that you may, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. Okay, now here's the illustration of that. Agabus simply prophesied that Paul was going to be bound. He didn't take a position to say, don't go like everybody else. In fact, he was silent, wasn't he? We don't know. He might have gone with them and to say, oh, don't go, Paul. Or, at the same time, is that he didn't say, go, Paul. In fact, it illustrates for me that he didn't fully understand what he was prophesying about. Just one type of illustration. There's more that will go with that. A prophet doesn't mean... It means you get a message, not always that you understand it. Many prophets were not, were not even recognized as prophecies. Many of the prophecies themselves. They were not recognized as prophecies. I'm going to give you a very common phrase that we see in the New Testament. It'll sound like this. That what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. That sound familiar? I'll say it again. That what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. So in other words, the prophecy, they didn't know what it meant at all until it was fulfilled by Christ. Matthew one twenty three was that example. Isaiah 7.14 is the virgin birth. Not fully understood until Christ was born. Not even recognized as prophecies until that point, until Jesus says it's now fulfilled. Much like he did in Luke 4. For today, this scripture is fulfilled. Further, the Old Testament prophecies were often perplexing because of unclear distinctions and contradictions. Here's a couple quick examples of that. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 14. I'm just going to read that real quick for you. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, Who do you say that I am? You see, that itself, it was very perplexing. They didn't know. The people were unclear. In fact, 
Jesus is asking them, his own disciples, that question, and he got several different answers. In other words, they knew about the, the prophecies of the Messiah, but were not able to put the pieces together. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 41, Jesus masterfully confronts his accusers and his opposers of where he talks about David. Luke, uh, this is Matthew 22, verses 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. Jesus says to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. How could the Messiah be David's Lord and David's son at the same time? Now, you're, you're the one that wrote that. It's a mystery. It was perplexing. Contradicting at times, actually. The prophets only had a small piece of the puzzle. Only had a small piece of the puzzle. In Luke chapter 24, verses 25 to 27, to quote this exactly, it says that he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Often Jesus would do that. He would go back and he would literally put the pieces together for them, his disciples. Now, did they understand then? No. <laughs> they still didn't. Jesus would do that for us. This is, again, to put you at a place of, of greater appreciation for the Holy Spirit's inspiration, the Holy Spirit's giving you an understanding puzzle pieces all coming together. And then again in Luke 24, 44 and 47, is that they didn't understand. Jesus literally opens their minds. The Holy Spirit opens our minds. How often have you experienced that where you would study a piece of Scripture, read it several times, and all of a sudden, the light goes on. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us that perspective on that. All I want us to do is to appreciate the fact that these writers of Scripture were writing it in faith. The believer, we have the assurance of being with Christ. To those, and I'm going to tell you, using your question, to those that are entrusted or have God's Word intelligently, in other words, to any false teacher out there, Take heed. Will come in, as a judge. Yes, that's that. It's a, it's a, it's part of that preparation is in our worship to God and appreciating what we have in our position in Christ. Again, with this position that we have in Christ, God has given us His Word, trusted to us to that. And how do we respond to that? These are all things. But yet, coming back to this great theme of grace, hey. Thank God for grace. What was the content? Uh, moving on. What was the content of the revelation? Looking on. It was revealed to them, what? Yeah, they were servants. That they were not serving themselves. They were not serving themselves. In fact, it says that they were serving you. To the readers of Paul's letter, to them. To you and I, as the readers of this, is that these prophets wrote for you. So when I asked that question in the opening things, this was, you know, like, what have these Old Testament prophets done for you? And come to appreciate that they were writing for you. It says in there that they were 
reveal to them these things, and it says things. Things, again, always refer to salvation things. These are Jesus things. <laughs> the revelation was given to them that they would have this, and they were not serving themselves, but future, for you and I. So these Old Testament prophets, in a sense, they were servants. These are great passages uh, on your own study to look at, but they're on your sheet there. Romans, Romans chapter 4, 23 and 24. Now, not for Abraham's sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Romans uh, 4, 23 and 24. Romans 15. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and encouragement the Scriptures might, we might have hope. Think of the heroes of faith, Hebrews 11. Did they really see the fulfillment of God's covenant? No. Back 32 and 30 through 40. They did not. They're, again, bringing it to this proper perspective of our salvation, the suffering and the glory. This, um, they're, they're a perfect example of, of the prophet's perspective. And I'm going to add to this a couple of minutes when we look at this, the angels, because from the angels, and here these are holy angels, that will never experience what we have. And so, but at the same time, I submit this. They've watched it all since the beginning of creation. They've watched it all. They have seen every believer struggle. <laughs> Think about that. They've watched. They're watching in awe, which is interesting. So, every one of us, it goes on because it's, it, the passage goes on in verse 12. We transition to the last verse. It says, Those who, who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Every one of us who knows Jesus Christ has come to the point we've responded to the proclamation of the gospel by some sort of preacher. In that verse, it specifically references here that to those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. As it relates there, it's the apostles, right? But for us, it's, it's really, to current day, it's our preachers. Romans 10, good passage in this, it talks about, again, all those, no one comes to Christ apart from hearing the message. Whoever will call upon the name will be saved. How, and it's the questions, how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard, and how will they hear without a preacher? So revival comes by way of the Holy Spirit. The proclaiming comes through the Holy Spirit. Men do it, the Spirit empowers it. Men do it, the Spirit empowers it. What is Spirit-filled? This is, again, I could go on and on just about this, but what does Spirit-filled preaching look like? Just some thoughts. Spirit-led. I, I, I love a couple of these passages. Um, this one's on Colossians one twenty nine. Paul, for this purpose, in other words, all of his ministry, I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. It's work. <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy preaching. If it's easy preaching, check it out. <laughs> not easy. Spirit-filled preaching. 1 Corinthians 2. Uh, 1 to 5 is another great passage in here. Paul writes, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, 
but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, and that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You know, we don't have time to go through that, but uh, you know, a great discussion is what I listed on there. Is as you look at the church today, you know, is it what's happening in the church? I love the going. I love the old exposition of God's word, and you see that. And I'm telling you, it's not necessarily the popular thing in church today. And that's why I like I like that passage in Paul where it says, "I labor striving." It, it, it's almost as though that's like, oh, oh my goodness, this is work. You're right, it is. But yet it is just this total commitment to Christ and to the Holy Spirit's work in preaching. Somebody was going to say something. I was just going to say Yeah, that. that's the Second Timothy 4 passage. That's why it's there. It's a preaching, it's a preaching to please God. Yeah. Not period. Last part of the verse, and it says... They were looking, the things to which angels long to look. The thing that, this, again, the angels desire to look into, again, here it comes again, it's the same things. It's the salvation that the prophets did. It's the salvation. Throughout Scripture, and we're not going to go into um, angelology here, but angels have always been interested in the things of Christ. In Luke two, uh, Luke chapter 1, they were there when Christ's birth was announced. In Matthew 4, they were with Christ during His time of testing. Matthew 28, they stood by the grave after He had risen. Acts 1, they attended at His ascension to heaven. Then, when He returns, they will be with Him. They will attend with Him when He returns. Second coming. The idea that these angels were peering into this, in other words, they were longing to look into. And this word is important for us to understand, is that this longing to look into, it is this type of a stooping looking into. It's like what, when they were running to the grave to look into, they were stooping looking into. They were peering in. I love it. You know, I get to play hide and go seek now with uh, with Alec. You know, and so you, we, I go and hide, and I don't really hide, hide. But you know, I'm going, Alec, come find Papa, and he peers, he, he stretches, he looks because he's just so small until he gets that glimpse in there. That's what this is looking, this term that we have here. And so these angels, to kind of pull this together, this is really, I, I think, very interesting in this closing part of this, is that the angels. They worship God and they rejoice over God's plan of redemption. It is a perspective. This final perspective of the greatness of salvation is from the perspective of these angels that are longing to see it. And I want you to think about that. Angels are not omniscient. They, don't, they, they have been watching this since eternity. In other words, that creation. I, back in Job, but they were there when... God created the earth. They were there, these angels. At the same time, these holy angels, there's no redemption for them. And so they are in awe. In fact, they worship God. And here's a kind of an interesting thing. The more I, I started thinking about this, is to why. And in Hebrews 2.16 is a very great passage. Mark, I'm sure you could give us a, a week on that passage. But in Hebrews chapter 2, just to take a look at it real quick here. Hebrews 2, chapter, 
2, verse 16, it goes this way. It says, For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. When it refers to this, this aid, it is the helps, it is the rescuing. Angels do not need to be rescued. In fact, all the fallen angels will be in the lake of fire. There is no redemption for them. And so these angels, in a sense, they're, they're outside of this redemptive realm. And they cannot fully understand it in terms of their own experiences. Which is really interesting to me because they are longing to look. And yet, there is this rejoicing. And one of my favorite passages is found in Luke. Just turn with me in closing on that. Luke chapter 15. Jesus is teaching three parables in a row. It is the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. These angels observe God's program of redemption. They're they're watchful of it. But I want you to catch something. And that is, at the conclusion of each of these, these first two, this is the parable of the lost sheep, in verse 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. There is joy over repentance in the heavens. Okay, And in sliding on down to verse 10, it says, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. They receive no redemption, but yet they rejoice when believers come to faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, the angels rejoiced your salvation. Think about that for a second. They're in awe of that redemption, and they rejoice. For another, another thought to take with you, is that where do we see the angels? They exist to worship God. They're around the throne singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Almost in a sense, is that they, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and when we worship God personally, they rejoice with us. They rejoice over our worship. So sometimes we lose sight of the fact is that there are these angels that are watching God's program unfold with awe. It's that they long to look. And so in closing, these angels, they're peeking over the edge of this realm into ours, into the insight of the things of Christ in your life. And think for a moment, as we think about the creation of angels, that what do you have in Christ? Something they so therefore, on that note, is it a great salvation? Well, I hand this off to Mark for next week, but uh, let's uh, close our time together in prayer. Father God, thank you, Father, for this this wonderful passage that we can uh, again open it up. We thank you for truth. Father, I thank you for the prophets, Father, that you inspired and led. I thank you for their example of their lives, their perseverance. Father, their suffering that just serves as an exhortation to us, but also that, Father, we can rejoice in the victory that we have through Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for 
uh, grace throughout Scripture that we see the abundance of it. And Father, that unlike the angels, Father, we are recipients of that grace. Father, we praise you for that truth today. Father, I just pray that as, as we leave here today, Father, that our worship would be pleasing to you. And Father, that we would see the angels rejoicing in our worship to you. This we ask all in Jesus' name. Amen.